This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. A quick life update, and when I mean a life update, I mean a Caden update, because that's what it's all about now. And, and I wonder at what point do I stop sharing pictures of Caden every time I preach, but not today, though. Put it up. He just turned, I feel like it would be illegal if I didn't share this picture, and so I wanted to share it. He just turned five months, and uh, Sarah and I have been enjoying him and watching him learn new things, and I feel like we've been bonding and growing in our relationship with this little thing that is five months. Uh, It's been good for all of us to go out and uh, spend time with one another, especially this summer, to, to be free and enjoy life and be grateful. I've been trying to be proactive with uh, planning family things, like going to the river walk, going to a restaurant, or just sitting uh, by the lake. It's a way for us to not just do things, but also to just be. What I've noticed that is even when we are doing nothing, we're doing something, we're being, finding delight in our relationship. I've been finding myself just enjoying Caden's presence so immensely lately. He doesn't do anything. I don't need him to do anything because I simply delight in who he is to me. Uh, But sometimes I get so caught up in the things that I have to do for him or for us and for the house and for the church that I lose focus on my delight. Caden's teaching me how to enjoy my relationship with him and others. Because when we delight in relationship with one another, we're actually building our relationship. It's a part of being in relation with one another to enjoy that friendship that you have. And relationships that aren't built solely due to fun activities or trips, but it's built through spending time together, enjoying each other, knowing each other, loving one another and the relationships that we have matter because God created us, created us to be relational beings. We read that in Genesis. The triune God is in relation with each other, though they are one. Relationships matter, especially our relationship with God. And so we begin a three-week series today, taking a small break from our Sermon on the Mount, to refocus on one of our most important fundamental aspects of our walk, of our life, of our theology, of our perspective, of our eternity, is our personal relationship with God. And though I'm an advocate of enjoying the summer and, and being free and doing fun things, it doesn't mean that we put a pause on our relationship with God. In fact, genuine joy and enjoyment are to be driven from this relationship that we have in God. We ought to find rest in our relationship with God. We ought to find peace in our relationship with God. And this morning, if your relationship with God is feeling like a burden, a responsibility, or even non-existent, it's necessary for us to evaluate our relationship with God. It's the most important relationship that we can have. Why? It's because our relationship with God that guides us to follow Jesus and not religion. Our relationship with God allows us to receive and give grace and mercy. It allows us to rest, it allows us to forgive, it allows us to press 
Anna allows us to have joy. And so for the next three weeks, I want us to look at our relationship with God and how it allows us to delight in him, how it solidifies our identity, and lastly, how it matures us as followers of Jesus. The psalmist says, for me, it is good to be near God. And that's the desire that I want us to have in our hearts, to be present with God. And during this series, I want us to examine our relationship with God in the present and let the Spirit guide us in a way to go deeper in our relationship with God in an intimate way, in a genuine way, not in a legalistic way. And so our passage we'll be studying today is found in Isaiah 55, found right in the middle of the Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you. Feel free to grab that and uh, turn to Isaiah 55. And the title for today's sermon is Deeper in Our Delight. Deeper in Our Delight. And if you're taking down notes, this is our big idea for today. It's this, God promises delight for our souls if we seek him through repentance. God promises delight for our souls if we seek him through repentance. And in these 13 verses, there's an invitation to participate in this relationship with God, right? God invites us in three ways. The first one is this. God invites us to freely come to delight in him. God invites us to freely come to delight in him. Let's look at verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. I see why you picked that song, Tim. And he has no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. In this text, we first see an invitation to a feast. Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering servant to come. Isaiah 54 talks about how the blessings of God would benefit Zion, the people of God. But in Isaiah 55, there's an invitation for all sinners to come. Two key words in this first uh, verse, come, everyone, right? It's seen four times in the first verse alone, and invitation is for everyone. Everyone is invited to delight in this feast that the Lord has prepared for you. Everyone is invited to participate in God's grace and mercy freely extended to anyone that Come, everyone who thirsts. And in order to come, you must recognize that you have a need, a thirst. A thirst that can never be quenched by anything that we produce or what the world offers. But a thirst that could be only quenched by the living water through relation with God. He invites us to come, buy, and eat freely because the feast he is inviting us to is already paid by someone. It's an all-inclusive type of feast. You try to eat more on all-inclusives for, for some reason, right? It's all-inclusive. I have to. No need to hold back. All you need to do is come. Water, wine, milk, meaning the abundance of God's provision that allows us to enjoy and delight in him. The feast that God is calling is to us to participate are things that ought to be enjoyed freely. That's how he wants us to enjoy these things without money, without price, without works alone, without perfection. Just come. 
a relationship with God starts with going to him first. At the same time, our relationship with God becomes more intimate as we continue to go to him in all things. Not just Sunday mornings, not just in small groups, but in every aspect in our lives, in, in crisis, in celebration, even in the mundane, are we going to the Lord? When's the last time we've gone to the Lord? Let's look at verse 2 to 3. Verse 2 says this, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. But God is inviting us to himself. But it's as if we would rather attend other feasts that are not satisfying. The message version of the Bible, which should be used as a commentary, if anything, translates as this, this verse as this. Pretty funny. Why do you spend your money on junk food, your hard-earned cash on cotton candy? It says cotton candy. Sarah, I'll pick up dinner tonight. Don't worry. Oh, yeah, what are you bringing? I'm bringing home cotton candy. Though it tastes great for a second or two, it brings zero nutrients to the body. Why labor for which it does not satisfy? We labor and invest in things that do not satisfy our deepest desires and our souls, and we end up being drained and dissatisfied and distracted. And we're quick to labor in things that make an impact in our own lives for comfort. We labor for money as if that's the only thing that's worth it. We labor for status. We labor for temporary pleasures offered by the world. And this gets tiring pretty quickly. Is our labor in vain? Is our labor satisfying? Is the work that we're doing giving us delight? Is your labor detrimental? The world deceives us and offers a false joy and temporarily makes us happy and excited. But we get excited for the wrong things and don't get excited for the real things. But really, this false sense of satisfaction and happiness is a distraction of the true joy that we have. Genuine joy and satisfaction is found not out there, but it's offered through Jesus. C.S. Lewis says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of the holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We ought to be excited for the real things. The result of eating at the Lord's feast is infinite joy, infinite joy found in the presence of God through his invitation to come as you are. Do not go through this life with an empty, laborious ritual. Delight yourselves in rich food. The person in need, sinners like you and me, are asked to come and listen. Verse 3 says, here so your soul may live. That's kind of important. 
Right? Here's an invitation, not for prosperity, not for comfort, not so that you will feel good, it's so that your soul may live. And this feast that God offers is not literal food, but it is a saving grace, it is amazing grace, it is grace upon grace that only he can offer for our souls. Delight yourself in who I am, says the Lord. Delight yourselves in the grace that I offer to you, this rich food, this fat, fat food that I offer to you. Stop chasing this cheap grace that this world offers. No, my grace I offer to you costs something. Verses 4 through 5 says this, Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. The text indicates that God will make an everlasting covenant which provides everlasting delight and everlasting joy and everlasting peace. Right? The covenant God made to David in 2 Samuel 7 where God says, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. My love will never be taken away from him, the text says. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Ever. God promised David, who was a faithful servant, an eternal dynasty, an inheritance. God promised that a king would come to testify the Lord's greatness to the nations of the earth, even to those who don't know him. You catch that? He's not a king just over a nation, he's not a king just for those who know him or follow a religion. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is King Jesus. And he's already arrived to fulfill what God has promised. A greater faithful servant, a name above all names. There's an invitation to participate in this relationship with God. And God invites us freely to come and delight in him. He wants you to delight in him. The second one is this, God invites us to return to him through repentance. God invites us to return to him through repentance. Let's look at verses uh, 6 through 9, follow along. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Seek the Lord, turn to the Lord for restoration. I shared with you guys that we recently got a a car for my wife, and uh, it's got this feature called a lane departure warning system. Anything, anytime you go outside of the driving lanes without using a turn signal, the car helps you and corrects you so that you're driving straight, that your path is straight. And at times, if you're not even close to being in the middle of the lane, I'm just assuming, I've never done this, the car starts beeping at you saying, yo, pay attention. It doesn't say that, but that's how it feels. 
when I drive Sarah's car, I've been noticing this lane departure thing goes off quite some often for some reason. Only when I'm driving, but not when Sarah's driving. Beep, 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 beep. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> My wife goes, see, I've been telling you that you don't drive straight sometimes. <laughs> and in humility, I said, yeah, there's must, something, must, something wrong with the car, I think. It's, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm driving straight. See, my path is not straight. Correction is needed for my safety. And I need to admit and listen. See, repentance doesn't work if you're not willing to forsake your way. Repentance doesn't work if you're ignoring the lane departure system found in Scripture. It doesn't work if you've been confronted with sin and choose to ignore it. Repentance doesn't work if the Holy Spirit is convicting you of a certain sin, but you choose not to act. Our paths are not straight. None of our paths are straight. And if you think it is, you're only fooling yourself. One pastor says this, the failure to repent is a form of idolatry. Refusal to repent is to elevate our souls above God's glory. But when, what, but when one does repent, it leads to the forgiveness of sin and the restoration of one's experiential communion with God. We're all together safe and secure in our eternal union with Christ due to God's grace, but our capacity to enjoy that fruit of that union, our ability to rest satisfied in all that is entailed by that saving union is greatly affected by our repentance response. Then when we choose not to repent, a block is created between our relationships. Our, our, our repentance must be rooted in the hatred of sin and the love for God. Repentance is turning away from sin and turning towards the path of righteousness through Jesus. It's not being perfect, but it's turning to God. To the world, repentance means losing your self-image in weakness. But the word tells us that if we choose to repent from our sins and return to the Lord, the Lord will have compassion and our God will abundantly pardon you. He's eager to pardon you. During my time in college, I lived in a townhome with some other guys and I was in charge of the finances, like paying rent, bills, collecting money. I took on this responsibility because the previous year, lived with the other guys, and I wasn't in charge of this. One day, the electricity just stopped working. And I asked my roommate, did you pay the electricity bill? And he just looked at me. We found out that he did not pay the electricity bill, nor did he ever pay the electricity bill the whole time that we've been living there. He never set up the account. And so I volunteered for the job next year. But I was going through our bills at the end of the month, and uh, the electricity bill showed up under my name. And I opened it up. I was totally confused. And I wasn't confused because of how high the bill was. Because this bill that I received under my name, it said, no balance paid in full. That was the best bill that I've ever received. Oh, the joy that I had when I got that bill. 
Something that I rightfully owed was not owed anymore. The balance was taken care of. I took that bill and taped it on or next to my bed, not as a reminder that I didn't have to pay the electricity bill, but the reminder that my sins that lead to eternal death were forgiven in full by the blood of Jesus. He paid it in full. Amen? No balance. Man, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's the truth that we get to carry around. Man, at that point, it wasn't even a bill. That's where we find our source of joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God invites us to partake and delight in the grace that he offers through repentance, paid in full, no balance. Return to the Lord and follow him so that he may show you his compassion. So the the God of the universe will abundantly pardon you. So the God will transform your mind and your heart through his spirit. What prevents you from returning to God? But what prevents us from returning to God is because we trust ourselves over God. It's easier to trust ourselves because we know ourselves versus God. Is it because the grace that he offers is just too much? God, I don't deserve this. Maybe that person or this person, but not me. Is it because of the fear of man? If people found out who I really am, Is it the fear of rejection? Is it the fear of looking weak? Is it the fear of thinking that God does not see you as his own child? So we're not called to figure God out entirely. That's impossible. But in times of doubts, in times of fears, in times of hopelessness, in times of confusion, in times of desperateness when there's nowhere to go, We are to know this about our God, that his thoughts are not our thoughts, that his ways are not our ways. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And we should find comfort and truth and peace in that, knowing that God's plan is best for our lives, even when we don't understand it. It's an invitation to participate in this relationship with God. God invites us to freely delight in him. God invites us to return to him through repentance. And this is the last one. God invites us to trust in his promises. God invites us to trust in his promises. Let's look at uh, 10 through 13. Follow along. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, that shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, 
an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. God promises that he will respond with compassion and love to all those who return to him. It's a promise that we can count on. That both rain and God's words are intended to have an impact on the earth, on the people who live in it. The rain allows vegetation to the earth so it may produce fruit. The word of God has a power to produce fruit in the people of God and feed us what we need. Feed us our realities. Feed us of our depravity and the reality of our eternities. One commentary says this, the main point is that just like rain cannot fall on earth without fulfilling the role God gave it on earth, so God's words cannot fall from God's mouth into heaven without fulfilling the role God gave it. It has to. That's the character of God. It has to. He does not make empty promises. He does not hide away from creation. That's why he gave us his word. That's why he sent us Jesus and the Holy Spirit so we would know him and have a relationship with him. But why, right? Why can we trust God's promises for us? How come we can bank on this hope? Because God's promises cannot be spoken without God from God without it being true. It's part of who he is. Everything that he says will be accomplished. His word represents who he is, what he promises, that he, uh, that he works for the good of those who love him. He guarantees it. When he says that he looks as you has his child, he means it, regardless of how you see yourself. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His word represents his will for our lives. His word accomplishes the plans and the pleasures of God. His thoughts, words, and plans are powerful, for all he had to do was to speak, and the worlds were created. One of the most important reasons to trust in God is that he does what he says always. He is faithful. And everyone in our lives will fail or disappoint or not meet our expectations, intentionally or unintentionally. That's a part of being in a relationship with others. But the God of the universe will never, ever take back one single word he promised. The God of the universe will always be faithful. He will always be constant. He will always be love perfectly. Why? Right? Why is God doing all of this? Why did God do, go into extreme measures so that we can be here at this spot? Why did he sacrifice his own son, Jesus, on a cross in the most humiliating way? Why do we have a shot of eternal life, a personal relationship with God? Why did he do this? The answer is found in verse 13. It shall make a name for the Lord. It shall make a name for the Lord. The redeeming work of God shall continue to go forth and we shall go out in joy, the text says. We see the imagery of even the mountains singing, the trees clapping their hands that even them shall make a name of the Lord. 
redemption of God's work is for his name, for his reputation, for his glory, for everyone to see. The redemption of God's work in sinners like you and me is for his name, for his glory. That's why we can boast in our weakness. So the power of Christ may rest on us. See, when God created mankind, we had a perfect relationship with him. Uh, but, But because of our selfish desire to be God versus enjoying God, we chose to break that relationship with God by disobeying God, which is sin. And it's this sin that led to a physical death, to an eternal death, eternal death which caused a separation between us and God. But the only way to make that relationship right again, to restore that relationship, is to please the just wrath of a perfect God through sacrifice. See, due to our sin, we don't deserve to have a relationship with God. We don't deserve to enjoy and delight in our Father in heaven because sinners have no business around a holy God. However, out of God's love and for God's glory, so that his name would be great, he sent his son Jesus down to earth to fix that relationship. But Jesus lived a life that honored God in perfect obedience so that he may be the perfect sacrifice. His death satisfied the wrath of God and his resurrection proved that death cannot hold him. Meaning he beat death once and for all, which means for us today we get to have a relation with God. No more separation. Jesus the Son of God made a way for us to have a relationship with God so that we can enjoy God, so that we can delight in Him as our Father in heaven. Through the cross, Jesus took what we rightfully owed, and He said, I will pay this in full, no balance. That's what we get to carry around. Tim Keller says this, the determining factor in our relationship with God is not our past, but Christ's past. What does this mean to us? The hope of enjoying life with God is present through Jesus Christ today. Regardless of what you've done in the past, you get to have a relationship with God. Not because of anything that you've done, good or bad, because what Christ has done, don't miss out on it. Like God sent us Jesus to save us from our sins so that we may enjoy and delight in him. Right? Jesus didn't leave us after he departed into heaven. He said he will always be with us till the very end of age. That's a promise that we can trust about Christ's past, not ours. That's why we can go to him anytime, anywhere, with anything. I'd like to close our time with an additional life update, which is a Caden update. There's no picture this time. That's too distracting. (laughs) In the past month, Caden is able to uh, recognize us for the first time. Their relationship 
started with us as his parents, with me delighting in him. Even before he came out, we were delighting in who he was. But as he is getting older, which is by the days and the weeks, our relationship is growing and forming. This relationship that I had with him on day one looks so different than I, the relationship that I have now in month five. As he is growing, as he is able to recognize his father, I can see how he is now enjoying his father as he gets to know me. He knows when I'm in the room. He knows my face. He knows who I am. And it brings him delight. And you know what my response is when I see my child delight in me? It brings me joy. That's how the Father in heaven sees us every moment. He wants us to delight in him. Our Father in heaven is delighted when we delight in him. Let's not forget the invitation that the Lord offers to us today. He invites us to to freely come and delight in him. He wants relation with us so that we could find joy in our God. He wants us to return to him through repentance, and he wants us to trust him so our relationship with him can be more intimate. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.